0: my nose up at the term vanished into thin air when it's used to describe missing people because it makes it almost seem like something mythical happened when these are real people with real lives that we're discussing. But if there's any case you could use, quote, into thin air for, it would be the case of Jason Jolkowski, a 19-year-old friendly and responsible man that disappeared in Omaha, Nebraska back in 2001. And the host of the Unfound podcast, who did a wonderful interview with the mother of the victim that we're going to talk about today, said it best. When it comes to the term, quote, vanishing into thin air, this case fits the description. Believe me when I tell you, this one is a real head-scratcher. In fact, one police officer that had worked on Jason's case called it, quote, the most baffling case he had seen in 30 years. In the 19 years he has been missing, not a single clue or piece of evidence has turned up. So buckle up and let me tell you about the disappearance of Jason Anthony Jolkowski. Jason Jolkowski was born in Grand Island, Nebraska, and he was 19 years old in 2001, the year of his disappearance. He was a part time student who was studying radio broadcasting at Iowa Western Community College in Council Bluffs, Iowa. This is just four miles from his hometown of Omaha and about a 10 minute drive. Jason was described as sweet, shy, involved in his church, and extremely helpful. Jason also suffered some bullying in his high school days due to a slight learning disability. According to Jason's mother on the Unfound podcast, Jason had a hard time focusing on more than one thing at a time, uh, and his processing of information could sometimes be delayed because of this. This led to some issues related to speech and language. But despite this, Jason was said to be of above average intelligence, especially when it came to his main passions, sports and radio broadcasting. He loved the Chicago Cubs and was said to enjoy entertaining those he knew with sports trivia. He completed an internship as a radio DJ at his college where he grew a large listener base. In addition, he had recently been hired as a customer service representative for a company specializing in customer service, a job that he was sadly supposed to start a week after he disappeared. In 2001, at the time of his disappearance, Jason was employed part-time at Fazoli's, which is a casual restaurant chain that serves Italian-American dishes. On June 13th, Jason was scheduled to go into work at 5.30 p.m. to work the dinner shift. But things changed when his boss called him in the morning, asking if Jason could come in early to work the lunch shift as well. Apparently, they were short-staffed at the restaurant that day, so they offered Jason the shift. Now Jason typically drove to work, but on the day of his disappearance, he had to make other arrangements as his car was in the repair shop after a storm caused hail damage. So eager to help and earn extra money, Jason told his boss he would walk to work, which is about 4 miles from where he lived with his parents. And to me, this is such a testament to Jason's personality, his his helpfulness and his willingness to go out of his way to help his co-workers. But Jason's boss said no need to walk and he agreed to send a fellow co-worker from Fazoli's to pick Jason up. Rather than burden his co-worker with directions to his home, and given that Jason had trouble giving directions himself, he agreed to meet the co-worker at Benson High School, which he had formerly attended as a student. They agreed that his co-worker and Jason would meet there at 11 a.m. With arrangements now made to go into work early, Jason jumped in the shower, put on his work clothes, and... Before setting off, he helped his brother roll some trash bins from the curb into the garage. This was later recounted from a neighbor who witnessed this around 10.45 a.m. As Jason's brother made his way back into the house, he glimpsed out the window as Jason walked out of the garage, beginning the eight-block journey to Benson High School. He wore his black slacks and work shoes that he always did when he headed to work, along with a Chicago Cubs t-shirt and cap. He held his red work shirt as to avoid getting it dirty during his trek. Meanwhile, at Benson High School, Jason's coworker waited in the parking lot. When 15 minutes had passed since their scheduled meeting time, she found herself confused and unsure what to do. So she made her way to a gas station a couple blocks away to use the payphone to call the restaurant. Jason hadn't shown up, she told her boss. What should she do? but her boss told her to wait for a few more minutes and see if he ends up showing up late, so she did. But Jason never arrived at the parking lot. A half an hour had now gone by, and Jason's co-worker made the decision to head to the restaurant. After all, they were short-staffed that day, which was the reason Jason was called into work early anyway, and she didn't want to put them more behind. Besides, Jason was reliable, and he was helpful surely he would turn up eventually and there'd be some sort of explanation as jason's coworker started her 11:30 shift jason's boss attempted to call his house to see what was going on but he reached jason's brother who had told him that jason had already gone to work now remember i said jason was supposed to start a brand new job a week after his disappearance well jason's boss knew that and Because of this, he figured Jason maybe decided to skip out on work that day since he wouldn't be working at Fazoli's much longer anyway. This assumption, while perfectly reasonable in the mind of Jason's boss, unfortunately proved to be very wrong. Jason was known by his family to be a sweet guy who would go out of his way to help others in need. No way he would play hooky when the restaurant was short-staffed. It just wasn't him. Jason's parents weren't made aware that there was anything amiss until later in the evening, as they were both at work at the time. Jason's father, Jim, arrived home around 5 p.m., not knowing his son was called into work early. He thought he was supposed to drive Jason to work to his evening shift since Jason's car was in the shop. When he discovered that Jason wasn't home, he called his wife, Jason's mom, Kelly, asking if she had heard from him. She had not. It was then that they realized something was very wrong. As days passed and Jason was still nowhere to be found, the police realized this wasn't just another case of an irresponsible teenager that was blowing off his responsibilities to hang out with his friends. They started their investigation by interviewing everyone Jason knew, neighbors, friends, fellow employees at Fazoli's, and frustratingly, no one claimed to know anything about what could have happened to Jason. Jason was last seen around 10.45 a.m. by a neighbor, as you recall, pulling the trash bins into his family's garage. Sometime in between 10.45 and 11 a.m., when he was scheduled to meet his co-worker, and somewhere in the eight blocks spanning between his house and the high school, Jason seemingly vanished. The next item on police's list was to go door-to-door to all the homes on the route that Jason was believed to have taken that day. No one recalled seeing him or anything unusual, for that matter. Surveillance cameras at Benson High School were functioning and were checked, but Jason never appeared on any of them, suggesting he never arrived at the school. In addition to the route Jason would have taken that day, south on 48th Street and west on Bedford Avenue, police also searched parks and wooded areas to no avail. It was as if he was there one moment and simply gone the next. I couldn't find anything to suggest that Jason had a cell phone in 2001. It would have been much less common for someone to have one back then, but his bank account was never touched either. What caused a responsible, and by all accounts, happy teenager to disappear within an eight block journey? How did no one see anything? These are the questions that have haunted Jason's parents for years. They strongly believe that foul play is involved here, as they insist Jason would never have left of his own accord. So let's talk about this as a potential theory. At the time of Jason's disappearance, he had only a small circle of friends, and as far as his parents knew, he was not in a relationship and didn't drink alcohol or do drugs. While plenty of teens hide these things from their parents, Jason's mom Kelly tells the Unfound podcast that, she really doesn't believe Jason was involved in anything of that nature. He wasn't known to be fighting with or have problems with anyone, and as mentioned earlier, everyone in his circle was thoroughly questioned and cleared. Moreover, finding someone Jason knew that had any sort of motive proved to be even harder. Who in his life would have known he would be headed to work that day early, other than his boss, his brother, or the co-worker who was supposed to pick him up? This brings us to the potential that Jason was harmed by a stranger. Investigators did question sex offenders in the area, and they even searched the home of one, but in the end, there was no evidence that linked any of them to Jason. Could Jason have gotten into someone's car under a ruse that someone needed help? Well, every criminal has their motives when it comes to these victims, Jason doesn't really fit the bill. He was tall, in shape. Who would mess with him, and for what reason? While the area that Jason would have traveled that day in Omaha was said to be fairly safe, I'm told that as close as a few blocks away, the neighborhoods became rougher, meaning gang activity and crime in general. But Jason is an unlikely candidate for being involved in a gang. But was he targeted for some unknown reason? And if so, what would that reason be? And where is his body? Another popular theory I've seen in this case is perhaps Jason was killed in a hit-and-run, the driver panicking only to dispose of Jason's body and take off. But with this theory, you have to take into account that no one saw or heard anything suspicious. There were no tire marks in the road, no screeching noises of a brake pedal slammed down too late, no commotion. Further, you would have to believe that the person who did this opted to hide Jason rather than call for help or just flee the scene. Pretty risky, if you ask me. Not to mention, I'm not sure how easy it would be for someone to physically dispose of a grown man at just over 6 feet tall and 160 pounds. Did Jason get into a vehicle or enter someone's house willingly? He loved to help people, and did someone take advantage of that? This would explain the lack of evidence if Jason willingly went somewhere with someone. It seems like the other scenarios mentioned would cause a scene, especially in broad daylight. It should be mentioned that just over a month later, on July 19, 2001, another 19 year old man disappeared from the general area that Jason lived. His name was Samuel Sherman. Samuel supposedly went to a job interview and was reported missing after that. However, the details surrounding this case are uncertain. It's not clear who reported him missing or if he even is still missing. There's not even a photo of him available online. On the Unfound podcast, Kelly, Jason's mom, says she doesn't believe the two are related. As the memory of Jason clutching his red work shirt, walking away from his home towards the high school... Fades further and further into the past, the chances of any answers being provided to his family diminishes. One positive outcome to such a tragic suspension of life has come in the form of the work of Jason's parents. After his disappearance, they created Project Jason in his honor as a way to assist other families who have had loved ones go missing. They also influenced the passing of Jason's Law by the Nebraska Legislature which provided a statewide database on missing persons. Kelly went on to receive a Volunteer for Victims Award from U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder in 2010 and the Nebraska Governor's Points of Light Award in 2014 in recognition of all her work. The case of Jason Jolkowski has seemed to baffle everyone, from investigators to online sleuths to me. I, for the life of me, cannot figure out how this person went missing in broad daylight in the span of, let's say, a half an hour, and no one saw anything, no one heard anything, and he's just gone. Hearing Jason's mother talk about her son also solidifies the idea for me that Jason wasn't the type that would just take off or be irresponsible. And I know when a mother is talking about their child, they're always going to see them through rose colored glasses. But in this case, I really get a sense that Jason was a good guy. He was responsible and he wouldn't do something like this on purpose. So then I have to ask myself, what happened? That's the question on everyone's mind that looks into this case. And my main ask of everybody listening is, Go look into Jason's story more deeply. Share it with somebody. It doesn't have to be this podcast, although I greatly appreciate if it is. But do go online. Find articles. Find any information you can, which is unfortunately slim in this case. And spread the word about Jason. Finally, I also want to know your thoughts and your theories, because this is incredibly baffling. Get in touch with me at 143mysteries.com or follow me on Instagram at 143mysteries. Leave me a comment. Tell me what you think. I'd love to know. If alive today, Jason Jolkowski would be 39 years old. In 2001, he had brown hair, brown eyes, and stood at six foot one. He weighed 160 pounds. Jason was last seen wearing black slacks a blue or black Chicago Cubs t-shirt and cap, and he was holding a red work shirt. He was also wearing black dress shoes. If you have any information on the disappearance of Jason Jolkowski, please contact the Omaha Police Department at 402-444-5657. That's 402 444 Thank you so much for listening to One Minute and 43 Seconds, a True Unsolved Mysteries podcast. We'll see you next time. Podcast has been approved by Skipper the Cat. Right, Skippy?